bankruptcy, divorce laws, disability, probate, there are so many classes on the path to practicing law. Unfortunately, most schools fail to instruct you on the business of law. This is Solo De Facto, a show dedicated to discovering the success secrets that exist in the reality of running a solo practice. My goal is to find the one thing that separates each guest from the rest to give you practical solutions to create a thriving firm. Solo De Facto is sponsored by Back Office Betty's, trusted virtual legal receptionist. Welcome everyone. I'm really excited to be here today uh, with another episode of Solo De Facto. Today's guest is a Clio certified consultant and director of operations at Core Accounting Solutions, Mark Kazanovich. Welcome Nailed to it. the show. <laughs> Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. I'm really excited. Um, I have one big question for you, and that is, okay. what's the one thing that you wish attorneys knew about running a successful law firm? Oh boy. Okay. Well, I'm biased, uh, but you know, I think that the most important thing that we see attorneys get wrong is not having a good system in place. And I don't mean in terms of the tools, I mean, that's part of it, but really having processes in place that are repeatable, that are consistent, that you're able to do, that your team is aware of. That's the biggest reason firms leave money on the table. That's the biggest reason firms get overwhelmed, I think, uh, or stressed out. It's just because there's not good processes and things that should be straightforward end up falling through the cracks. So you work mostly in accounting, right? So correct. what makes up a great system for accounting in a law firm? What are the parts that are most important? Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, the, as it stands right now, there are a couple tools out there that promise to, to handle the firm's legal practice management as well as their accounting. However, our experience is that these tools tend to be a jack of all trades and ace of none. And at very least on the accounting side, they, they fall short. And so they might have certain benefits for the attorneys in terms of reporting. When you look at sort of the holistic picture of what's required to run a firm, those tools don't cut it. So if these all-in-one tools aren't the right fit, what is? And, and at this point, uh, the solution is, I think, to get a, a tool that is the right job for, does the right job for accounting, as well as a tool that is geared towards legal practice management. Um, we work only with cloud-based services. So there you know, might be locally hosted tools out there that we aren't aware of, but when it comes to uh, you know, optimal software stack, in this day and age, we, for accounting, we believe that QuickBooks Online is the best offering out there. It's an industry leader as well. And then for legal practice management, uh, you know, Clio is the biggest, the biggest tool in the space. Um, although we have customers that work on some other services as well. There's my case, uh, Practice Panther, a number of other ones out there. Uh, and, you know, the advantage of using two discrete systems is that you're able to have sort of the best functionality available that you need for accounting and the best that you need for legal practice management. Uh, and there are firms that try to manage their their firm operations through QuickBooks, and, and it's really not geared towards that. Likewise, you might be able to do the client trust accounting stuff in a software like Clio, but it's not geared towards managing your firm's accounting and general overhead and things like that. That makes sense. So it's really important to have those two specific pieces that are good at what they each do. Correct. Um, so what do you think the, the number one thing that people get wrong with their accounting systems is? Like, what is the one giant mistake that you see all the time? Yeah. So, uh, 
I guess if I could answer, I think in terms of like general accounting and then as well as for attorneys, I think one of the biggest sort of holdups is. So generally, okay, this is a quote that is allegedly attributed to Einstein. Who knows if he said it, but allegedly he said, um, uh, things should be as simple as possible and no simpler. And I think that accounting is really, when people think accounting, they think taxes on one end of the spectrum and they think bookkeeping on the other end. And for many uh, business people, they're just doing their books so that they can pay their taxes. The real missed opportunity is in the middle. And that's really utilizing your data to make business decisions and have an understanding of how your business is doing. And that's what we refer to as management accounting, right? And, that, and that's where we like to work with our, our customers. Uh, so when it comes to, to big mistake, a lot of firms, when they think about their bookkeeping, instead of looking at it as a tool that they can use to, to operate more effectively and efficiently, it's just something that they do because they feel obligated. And so going back to the Einstein quote, I think that accounting that is done really well and you know the day-to-day accounting, bookkeeping, that when it's done really well, you should be able to look at your financial statements and see a story. There shouldn't be so many categories in your chart of accounts or general ledger or whatever you call it uh, that it's overwhelming to look at and you don't get any insight. Likewise, it shouldn't be so so simple and, and barren that you can't see anything from there either. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. That was, that was a long-winded answer. I don't know. <laughs> no, that was great because it, it leads me to another question of what how do you tell a story from those numbers? What do what do the numbers tell you when you're looking at them and you see that story? Because I'm sure most people just look at numbers and get overwhelmed. What is sure. it that you see differently? Well, okay, and I, I don't think it's just me. I think people can learn to to look at it, but you know, part of it is is trying to think critically about changes. So for example, one of the ways in which we really like to structure uh, profit and loss, it's also known as an income statement, QuickBooks calls it a profit and loss, is that we will look at, and there are all sorts of ways to filter it. You can compare it to previous year, to the same quarter of the previous year. Uh, and, and so the way we like to do it typically is that we will filter down by month. So it's a profit and loss by month for, for that particular year. And so from there, you can see, okay, this month, you know, every month in a particular expense type, there was around $500. And then this month, there's $2,500. Okay, what happened? Why did that go up? Looking at that, um, seeing that your costs of goods sold are increasing, or in the case of, of law firms, their case-related expenses are going up. Ideally, you should see a proportionate increase in your sales. Or likewise, if you're looking at marketing and you're investing in marketing, you want to be able to track, okay, is that affecting your sales? Are we, you know, is, is it worthwhile? Or are we throwing money at these Instagram ads that aren't paying off? Or, you know, there, there's just sort of an infinite amount of things you can look at. And every, you know, every report is different. Every company is different. If you're hiring employees, your employee expenses are going up right away. Well, you want to make sure that, that those employees are, you're getting good ROI for them, whether they're revenue drivers or if they're, you know, a cost center, they, creating more efficiency? Are they freeing up your time or more of your team's time? So, you know, it's all sorts of things, but looking at the big picture. And and again, what it comes down to is having the right data in the right places. That's what's really important. That makes sense. So it's kind of like looking at it and seeing, are these expenses going up and is your income also going up? Or is your expenses going up where your income is not and you're realizing you're spending too much money in the wrong things? Yeah, or maybe something as small as, okay, like you see your software uh, subscription expenses are going up month after month. Well, 
you know, maybe it's worth taking a little bit of time and evaluating. Do we need all these software tools we're using and all the apps that we're paying for? Uh, are we, you know, are we able to negotiate better, better contracts with our vendors? For example, a lot of law firms still have, you know, physical printers or I mean, copy machines that they, they lease. You know, if you look at that, that might be an area where if you save a hundred bucks a month, that's not insignificant. So, you know, these sort of little things, it's big things, little things, one of the things we see, unfortunately, pretty frequently is that a company like Verizon will charge charge a, a, a business twice, you know, so, but if you're not tracking that and if you're not seeing, okay, well, why did, why did their telephone bill cost 800 this month and it's 400 every previous month? You know, it's not outside the realm of possibilities that you got double charged, but if you're not keeping an eye on this stuff, you can't recoup that. It's kind of funny. My dad is notorious for not paying attention to those kind of things. And he's been, he is not a details person. He likes, you know, the overarching um, concepts and he's in construction. So he really focuses on that overarching business and leaves the finances to um, his wife. Um, And when he was recently going through and like looking at his books, he realized there were thousands of dollars that he had spent on things that he wasn't realizing he was spending like, you know, it was auto drafting or it was miss um, mistaken charges yep. or whatever. But by the time you noticed them, it was too late to even get the money back. Yep. And it was just one of those things where you just kick yourself because you're not paying attention to the details and you're, you're losing money and not realizing it. Yeah. So advice that I, I give everyone, I mean, my wife and I do this and I give my friends this advice. Uh, I think that especially for your credit card accounts, but really all your accounts through your online banking portal, you can set up alerts. So basically I know whenever my credit card is used, if any expense over $0, uh, I get a text message or a push notification from Chase or whatever it is. And it happened just a couple of weeks ago that my wife and I were at lunch with my brother and I got a text that there was a you know, $550 charge at Home Depot and I called right away and it was fraud and it was some you know, Home Depot in Texas, and they'd use my card. So had I not known, and perhaps I didn't check the credit card statement until who knows when, like, they could have been running up a bill. So, you know, I think that's a really easy thing to do. Yeah, I think I'm a person that that would um, annoy me to see how much money I'm spending on the day to day. Maybe, maybe that's a sign that you in particular should turn on these notifications. <laughs> probably, probably, it would probably help a lot. Um, yeah. So what do you think, what is the one thing when you're looking at, um, you know, the system that an attorney has set up or, you know, even if they don't have a system yet and they're just kind of doing things willy nilly, what is the one big red flag that when you're looking at their stuff, it just stands out to you that that's something that needs to be changed immediately? Yeah. So, I mean, there, there could be many red flags, Um, you know, as, as your listeners know, attorneys have additional legally mandated accounting obligations, particularly relating to their client trust accounts that non-attorney businesses don't have to deal with. Uh, In addition to the fact that this is one of the top reasons, I should say mismanagement of client trust accounts is one of the top reasons attorneys are sanctioned. It also is not, you know, super intuitive or straightforward to manage and to, uh, you know, be compliant with the three-way reconciliation commitment or obligations that your listeners, particular states impose. Uh, so there's all sorts of things relating to that. Uh, you know, some things that jump out right away. If we look at a balance sheet and there's negative, uh, client trust liabilities, 
that is a huge red flag. Something was done wrong. Um, if those firms are not already getting audited, uh, they need to take take that blessing and get their accounts in order. Uh, firm, there are many firms that despite, I, so it's actually not every state. Uh, I believe it's something like 28 or 29, less, fewer than you would think. While every state has client trust accounting guidelines and rules, not all of them require three-way reconciliation, which is actually the, the physical report or like the report that's prepared at the end of each month. Firms that don't have these reports, you know, they're one client complaint to the bar away from getting audited. Uh, and, you know, it's unlikely if the firm's doing things in good faith, they get disbarred right away, but, you know, they could certainly be sanctioned. Uh, so, you know, I think keeping track of that. Other things that are, are red flags that perhaps are not going to put a firm's license at risk, um, but as a business owner, they should be very aware of, is what kind, uh, how, how much many of, excuse me, what percent of their case-related expenses are they actually recouping? Uh, if they're leaving case-related expenses or matter-related expenses, whatever the, the firms call it, on the table, that is a, a huge opportunity. I, I don't remember the exact statistics, but Clio uh, publishes this annual legal trends report, which is actually very interesting if you're a data nerd like me. Uh, they have all sorts of cool stuff in there, but it's something like 60% of, of uh, only 60% of, of client fees are recouped. This is one of those things that if you have a good process in place and your, your team knows what's expected and it's just part of your everyday operating procedure to record these expenses, it's easy to do, but you know you need to be aware of it. And it's one of the things that's really hard for all business owners is to take a step back and look at the 20,000 foot view and look at things sort of big picture. It's so easy to get caught up in the weeds, which is why you know I think there's value in having a third party working with you and looking at your finance is giving that additional perspective, uh, you know, an unbiased pair of eyes from the outside. Yeah, absolutely. So when, when you're saying that it's super common to leave money on the table, what is advice that you give to attorneys with that helps them to, um, collect, you know, what is, yeah. what is your advice on collecting payment in a timely manner to where you are actually getting the money that you're charging? Yeah. Look, when it comes to collections, it's obviously easier to get money ahead of time instead of after. Even if someone pays an invoice and then you say, oh, I forgot this expense here, I'm going to add it on a future invoice. They're going to say this was from before, like you already sent me an invoice for this. It's, you know, I'm not an expert in collections. Our goal is to help our customers get out ahead of it. In terms of, excuse me, in terms of practical advice, what I recommend. Uh, and so just take a step back. This goes back to having the right tools in place. So, so for firms, and we'll use Clio and QuickBooks Online as sort of the example, but you can replace uh, Clio with whatever practice management tool you're using in this scenario. And there are some other tools. I don't think that Xero works quite as well for, for attorneys as QuickBooks. You know, we don't have much experience with Sage or Peachtree. QuickBooks are the industry leader. Uh, and so basically, the way we encourage firms to look at it is that that Clio serves as their, their system of record for all of their client interactions for their, for their legal firm operations. Uh, and that's where the micro level data is housed, the client interactions, the different schedules, their contacts, the, the, the client invoices, the notes for the matter, uh, their client specific client trust balances. Whereas QuickBooks serves as the macro level look at how your business is doing. It's at a high level, income versus expenses, uh, and that's also where the overhead is stored. 
So you asked about mistakes that attorneys make. Um, and I think I, I shared sort of on the personal side, but one of the huge things that attorneys do is they see that Clio and, and, and QuickBooks integrate or their practice management tool and QuickBooks integrate. So they need to flip on every switch, have everything synced over. When in reality, it's not always, in fact, it's usually not necessary to turn on every available sync. And depending on what your process is, you, you know, you can make validate that you're in compliance. You can have accurate records and not have everything in both systems. It doesn't mean not every piece of data needs to be in both systems. Um, going back to your question about what to do in terms of collecting on, on, you know, client fees or really the example I'm giving is, is, you know, case related expenses. And this goes back to the process. If you're using a tool like Clio that, that, your firm is living in. And so, you know, in this scenario, like not, not every employee of your firm is going in QuickBooks. It might be the managing partner, the office manager, uh, your accountant and or bookkeeper. Uh, but, you know, the paralegals aren't going in there. Your, the associates aren't going in QuickBooks. They're living in Clio. And so if you have a, the right tool and you have a process, so what we coach our customers to do is that as soon as you incur that client expense, just record it in Clio associate it with the matter, then you never have to worry about it again. You know, it's going to be there. You know, it's going to be available when you create the next bill. And it's just part of the process. What happens is that attorneys or, you know, firm staff will incur an expense. They'll have a filing fee. They'll, you know, pay for parking at the courthouse, whatever, you know, they're trying to pass on to the client. And then they put the receipt in the, in the cup holder in the car, or they forget about it, or they don't do it right away. And then it falls by the wayside. Uh, having it be part of your process and your team knowing that the expectation is just as soon as you incur it, you write it down. That's all you have to do. And then it's in there. Uh, and the, the, you know, I can get into the weeds. So I, I, <laughs> I, I'll keep it more high level. <laughs> I think that makes a lot of sense because it's something that is so relatable and there's probably more people doing that than even recognize that are doing that where, you know, they, they tuck the receipt away and, then they lose it before they can put it into Clio or they just forget altogether. And then they're losing all this money that is not even being recorded anywhere. Yeah. Or another, like, where did it go? Exactly. Or, you know, another thing, not necessarily losing the receipt, but Clio has a tool called hard cost importer, where basically what it does is when you have an expense come into QuickBooks and you categorize it as whatever you have preset as the trigger, let's say it's case-related expenses, it will then sync over to Clio. And from there, you know, the hope is that you would match it with the particular matter or client. And there's reasons that doesn't always work as expected. Instead of going this sort of, you know, circuitous route to get the expense back into Clio, we think it's better just to put it right in Clio and then know that it's associated with that client. Uh, and on the QuickBooks side, you just record the transactions that you expect to be case-related as case-related expenses. This is just one example of where, you know, they offer the sync functionality, but it doesn't always make the most sense for, you know, for each, each individual law firm. Yeah, that makes sense too, because um, back to what you said about like not having to turn the switch on for both all the, all the same information being synced to both platforms. Um. I imagine that that causes overwhelm when people don't understand, you know, why there's so much information in front of them and, and what is being actually synced. How do you, what are the things that you find are most important to actually have syncing into QuickBooks from 
case management? You know, I can't, every software is a bit different and, and really the way the firms are configured and operate is different. You know, it's not necessarily a one size fits all solution, um, especially, you know, you might have listeners using my case instead of Clio and, and, you know, whatnot. I, I think that what's more important, and, and so one of the things to remember is if you, for example, are starting your own firm, uh, you know, we've helped, we work with attorneys that, that leave their bigger firm, they're going to hang their own shingle, or we've actually been getting a lot of people, especially since COVID, that might be a younger attorney that joined a firm with a couple older attorneys, and they're sort of closer to retirement, and the younger attorney takes it upon themselves to kind of modernize the practice. And, and so that's something we see a lot too. But basically, if you have a simple setup, or you're just starting a firm fresh, and you're trying to set up Clio and QuickBooks, it's relatively straightforward. It's a simple sort of setup. It's a, it's a more straightforward configuration. Where firms struggle more is when they have an existing practice that they're running. You know, when firms are using tools like locally hosted tools like PC Law, and they're trying to migrate all the data over, or they're using PC Law and QuickBooks Desktop, that's when it becomes trickier and timing things out is important. And, and frankly, the beginning of the year is the best time. More than switching legal practice management stuff is switching your accounting systems. And it's best to do them kind of concurrently, but the accounting switch is what drives the benefit of doing it at the beginning of the year. Uh, but basically what's really, really important when firms are considering doing this is that their accounting is in order their client records are in order and their, their current legal practice management tool, or if they have it on paper or whatever, that, that their records are as in order as possible, that their accounting records are in order and that their accounts are reconciled as currently as possible, including their three-way reconciliations. If everything looks good and everything is really up to snuff and just in these other systems, again, it doesn't have to be overwhelming or complicated to migrate over, but in our experience, you know, it's probably skewed because the people that come to us are the ones that need help. If, they, if someone can do it themselves, they might try to do it themselves. But, you know, I think for a lot of firms, there is usually some cleanup and prep that needs to be done. Uh, and then the other big part of that is training the staff. Uh, and, and in addition to training, maybe more so than training is getting buy-in. I think that that's really, really critical for firms that are looking to take on any new software, bring on any new tool. We've seen so many transitions just fall apart because people in the firm aren't bought in, whether it's, you know, the paralegal that's living inside the software, or we see a lot, you know, more senior members of the firm that might be less uh, open to trying new technology. But it's hard if half the firm is on it or part of the firm is on a tool and part of the firm is doing it a different way. Absolutely. That can cause so much frustration. Um, when I've heard something before that switching over doesn't have to be taking everything at once and moving all of your old records and everything. Would you agree with that? Or do you need yeah. to fully migrate everything? Can you start out where like just one day, everything new going forward goes into a new system or does everything have to get moved over at once? Yeah. Yes. And no. Um, so let's say a firm is switching at the beginning of the year. From the accounting standpoint, they're able to just put in closing balances from the previous year. Uh, and that way they can pick up fresh in their new accounting system. Uh, likewise, with the legal practice management side of it, you can sort of set a date and start using the legal practice management tool at that time. 
but, and you know, you might not bring over all of your previous records. However, you probably, you know, there's probably at any given time in, in a firm, there's open invoices, there's open matters that are being worked. There's clients with, with funds and trust. All of those things have to be migrated over so that they can continue being tracked. But, you know, if your firm has been in business for a long time, you have all these closed, closed matters and clients you don't work with, that doesn't necessarily need to be migrated. Or perhaps you say, you know, we're just going to import the, the contacts, but not all of their trust, you know, all of their transaction history. Um, and so, you know, sort of looking at the big picture again is important. Uh, now, if you switch not at the beginning of the year, you have to do all the same stuff, but on the accounting side, at least we recommend bringing everything in from at very least the beginning of that year. So you have a full year in the accounting system and you can pull reports for the year from one place. And that brings me to sort of the last consideration that's really important is some firms opt to bring everything over just so they have all the records in one place. And I know that Clio and probably the other ones have some migration tools and services. I don't know like exactly how comprehensive it is and how far back it goes, but what if, if firms decide not to migrate over everything, they need to make sure that they still have access to the historical records that they need uh, that might require continuing to pay for a license to their software uh, or, you know, exporting as comprehensive of records as they can before they discontinue paying for their previous software. But that's just the other thing to keep in mind. However you do it, you want to make sure that you have access to all of your data one way or another. That's really good advice and something that is probably easily overlooked when you're trying to make that, that big move. So what, um, what do you think, why do you think accounting is so overlooked when, um, an attorney is running their firm? Why do you think that's kind of the thing that ends up being so messy? Ooh, uh, I think it's a few things, uh, unlike, unlike me, who I love accounting. Um, it, I recognize that's not the norm. Uh, I think that for a lot of, I don't think it's just attorneys. I think for a lot of people, it's very overwhelming. It's daunting. The bookkeeping can seem really tedious. I mean, it's sort of, it's almost a meme at this point that like nights and weekends are when people are doing their bookkeeping. And like you hear sort of the slogan, like, let us give you your nights and weekends back, right? I think that's, it's just one of these things that business owners really look at as an obligation. I think that many business owners don't necessarily feel comfortable with the financial stuff. Uh, they feel like they're out of their depths. And so they kind of procrastinate on it. And then they have sort of this pile of accounting that has to be done. And it's the last thing. And so, you know, it's sort of the cycle that it's just a, a painful experience for a lot of people. Um, I think that the other thing to consider is that Okay, and let's say for attorneys, and it's probably not a fair stereotype, but there certainly are attorneys out there that perhaps went to got a liberal arts degree and then went to law school. And, you know, this is something that that accountants literally go to school to learn how to do. And people who don't have experience, like, how are they expected to do that? Uh, I think the other thing is there, there are, you know, we work with with our customers kind of fall into two buckets. Okay. And this isn't like, you know, it's a continuum, but basically there are attorneys that happen to be business owners and there are business owners that happen to be attorneys in Phoenix where, where we're located. Uh, and you know, we have a number of customers in Phoenix as well. It sort of seems like the, the, the attitude is that people are happy having a successful 
I'll call it lifestyle business, being good attorneys, they enjoy what they do, they make a comfortable living and they want to go home to their families and, and children. And so it's not necessarily this drive where it's like in order to succeed, you have to have uh, a, you know, two stories of a skyscraper downtown, right? Um, and, and so I think that that if, if that's sort of your approach and you're just trying to pay taxes, perhaps it's easier to undervalue the, the insight part of, part of your financials. But certainly attorneys that have growth aspirations and are you know, looking to build big practices, they, they recognize that they have to have the data in order. They have to be able to glean insights. They have to be able to see the financial picture of how their business is doing in order to be able to successfully and sustainably grow. That makes a lot of sense too. Um, it's funny. I have a freelance side business that I personally only touch my bookkeeping like once a month. I know that's awful. I'm like, all right, I have to sit down. It's 10 o'clock at night. This is my only chance to sit here and go through all of the expenses I've incurred this month. And I'm literally only doing it for taxes. <laughs> like yep. it's, it's the biggest pain. So I resonate with just about any attorney that you know, is in that same boat, but, (laughs) um, I kind of want to go a little deeper into your business now. Um, I would love to hear, you know, well, I kind of, I want to go backwards actually into the life of Mark and how you got to where you are now to where you're running core accounting solutions. Sure. Okay. Well, it was February 18th, 1999, floor seven of Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto, Canada. Uh, I I was brought into this world to two loving parents. um, Wait, you're born in 99? No, 89. Did I say 99? Oh, you said, I thought you said 99. I meant 89. (laughs) I meant 89. The years have been cruel. Um, Yes. Yes. I was born in 1989. Uh, And I moved to Phoenix when I was six years old. Uh, I grew up here. Phoenix is home. I love Arizona. I love Phoenix. Um, I was naturalized as an American citizen in uh, 2017 or no, when I was 17. Uh, And uh, so that was something that was really pretty awesome. I got to leave school for the day and we went to the courthouse and it was very emotional. It was really awesome. Uh, And then uh, after graduating high school, I went to Arizona State University, where I studied uh, quantitative statistics, which is or quantitative psychology, which is basically statistics. Uh, and so I got a bachelor's of science in that. Uh, and after graduating, I, I entered the tech space and worked in, in tech and operations for, for quite a while. Uh, and around that time, uh, Ina, who is the founder and principal accountant of Core Accounting Solutions, uh, was growing her business and she approached me and, you know, said, I think you'd be a great fit for this job. Uh, And fast forward, uh, this upcoming Tuesday will be my six year core anniversary. So yeah, it's been, it's been great being with the team. Um, So as I mentioned, Ina is our founder and principal accountant. Uh, she's actually been grooming me for this job for the last 32 years because coincidentally, she's also my mom. Uh, and so we're a family business. Uh, I, for me, working with my, with my family and really my mom primarily is the best perk of my job. Uh, and yeah, so I, I joined CORE then and we've been growing the business. We started focusing on attorneys uh, really towards the end of 2017. And since then, we have not only really become experts in what is required from 
for attorneys, not just to stay compliant and do their accounting and do the client trust accounting stuff, but really from an operational standpoint, what they need to do a great job. And so a big part of what we do is working with customers on their, their legal practice manager uh, and accounting system integrations and helping educate their team and provide uh, support there, in addition to kind of the bookkeeping and management accounting that I had mentioned. That's awesome. So how did you guys um, decide to niche down into the attorney space? What, what yeah, that's, that? a, that's a good question. Um, so I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you totally candidly here, here's how, how it happened. So at the time we had uh, a couple attorney customers uh, and we were sort of, you know, getting our toes wet with the client trust accounting and working with these firms. Uh, and around that same time, Eno was doing a, some sort of professional development program. We're really big. One of our, our company values is, you know, continuing education. And so uh, we, you know, was doing this program. And so they recommended this exercise where you go through and you describe sort of the, the traits of your ideal customer, okay? And really break down your green, yellow, and red customers. And so when we were describing kind of the abstract traits, not just, not just sort of like demographic information of customers that we felt would be a good fit and that we would be able to provide value and that we'd like to work with, it seemed like attorneys really aligned with, with that, like what kind of, what was a good fit for us. Uh, and it turns out that since then, that's turned out, it turned out to be a good, a good hypothesis, but really what we've realized is that what's most, what's equally, if not more important for us than, than a good demographic fit is really a good psychographic fit. Uh, we, when we work with customers, it, it, we're really part of their team. We do everything on, you know, fixed price. We're not tracking our time. And we really work with them as, you know, it's more akin to an, a remote employee than, uh, you know, an accountant that comes in twice a month on a Tuesday for a couple hours and, you know, you don't see till the next time. Uh, and so I tell people, like, when you bring on an employee, you need to make sure that it's not just a good technical match, but it's a good culture fit as well. And so we really, uh, we want to make sure that's a great two-way fit when we work with customers. And yeah, that's, that's how it, that's how we ended up on attorneys and yeah. That's awesome. That resonates a lot. Cause that's kind of, you know, the story of how Betty's ended up, um, working with attorneys around a similar timeline too, but it was like, okay, who do we like working with the most? And it was like a resounding attorneys. They were, they, yeah. you know, appreciate what we're doing and they, um, you know, it just, it ended up being a perfect fit. And I think it's interesting that, um, so many people are noticing that same thing and niching down into the same space. It's interesting. Yeah. So um, is there anything exciting coming up in the future for you guys? Um, at oh Core? boy. Well, it's been exciting for me uh, getting back out into the community and going to in-person events. Uh, I'm, I'm a bit of an extrovert and uh, it was it really took its toll, uh, you know, being trapped inside in COVID and it's not quite the same doing Zoom. So that's, that's been really nice and kind of resuming in-person lunches. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's as well as you can build a relationship over video, it's not the same as, as doing face-to-face. -face. Um, although, you know, at, at this point, the majority of our customers are outside of Arizona. So, uh, you know, we are working remotely and yeah. So um, what are we looking forward to? Who, I don't know. This we've 
we've had a lot going on. Um, we have a couple CLEs uh, that we're, we're working on. Uh, and yeah, no, just keep keeping on keeping on. Are you using any cool technology we should know about? Yeah. So uh, one of the things that I was sort of on the fence about for a while, but ended up pulling the trigger on, I don't know, I've lost all track of time with COVID, but maybe, maybe a year and a half, two years uh, has been Calendly. And it seems silly. It's $10 a month. And I thought it was just, like, initially I thought it was going to just replace kind of the back and forth of scheduling coffee or lunch or whatever. But what it's really enabled and what I have more scheduled meetings of are 15 minute phone calls and 15 minute screen shares. And it's been totally liberating. And the reason is because now all of our customers know that if they want to connect, they should just put 15 minutes on my calendar and Ian's calendar, as opposed to uh, just getting a call out of the blue and interrupting whatever I'm working on and me not being prepared. And so Calendly is definitely worth the $10 a month. And you know, if you use it with your team, you can have, there are different ways you can do it. So you can have like a link and it does round robin where whoever is available will get the meeting or you can schedule it. So both people are, need to be at the meeting. And so you can kind of schedule with a group and anyway, it's awesome. Best $10 a month I spend. I have to back up that recommendation because Calendly is amazing. And I am one of those people that if you call me unexpectedly, I'm probably not going to (laughs) answer. And if I do answer, I'm going to be a little frustrated about it. So that being able to schedule phone calls is seriously life-changing and to have it done when, you know, somebody can just do it on their own time and it pops up on your calendar. Totally. So great. Yeah. Well, Um, you, you, you'd hate this Corey. uh, And it probably makes me a bad millennial, but basically like since the beginning, since when COVID started, my friends and I have just been defaulting to FaceTiming each other, like instead of calling and, you know, people are available. And I I don't know, I feel like I FaceTime way more now, even even though things are sort of returning to normal than I I did ever did pre-COVID. So I look at that as a as a silver lining. Yeah, I think I would probably ignore every single face. (laughs) (laughs) There's two types. I need I need some time to prep. You know, what if I um, what if I'm not dressed or my hair is not? That's right. You know, so. This has been a really great conversation and I would love to know, um, and I'm sure our listeners would love to know, where can they find you? Sure. So uh, we are on the internet. Uh, Our website is coreaccounting.com and it's K-O-R-E. So again, coreaccounting.com. We're on LinkedIn, Core Accounting Solutions. Uh, My name is Mark Kazanovich. And I think there'll be some links with with this podcast, right, Corey? Yes, we will add them to the show notes. Cool. Um, Thank you so much for joining me today, Mark. Um, And to everyone listening, if you learned something or enjoyed this episode of Solo De Facto, please share it with someone else who might also get some value from it. Um, Sure. Can I I make a shameless plug? Go for it. Okay. So so we really, you know, we don't have capacity to do accounting for everybody, uh, but we really love sharing knowledge. And, you know, I, I do a lot of webinars and CLEs, uh, and we have a lot of great resources on our website in terms of blogs and, and just, we try to make everything we put out really value add and informative. And I think especially for attorneys, uh, a lot of the things are quick hits or good considerations. So if you're looking for some additional continuing education, check out our blogs and on LinkedIn, we're constantly posting new stuff and, uh, little tips and tricks. So yeah, check it out. I love that. Um, I think the best kind of content you can create is educational, even outside of, you know, your own 
knowledge, kind of what we're doing with this podcast. I'm learning from you while our listeners are learning from you. So cool. Well, um, rising tide lifts all ships. Yeah. Well, that is it. Uh, another great episode of Solo De Facto, and we will catch y'all next time. Thank you for joining us for today's show. For more information, visit our site at solodefacto.com. And remember, smash that like and subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. Solo De Facto is sponsored by Back Office Betty's, trusted virtual legal receptionist, helping you grow your firm one call, one chat, one new client at a time. To discover how they can help you grow your firm, head on over to backofficebetties.com and mention the Solo De Facto show for an exclusive listener offer.